Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wellness Talks, a UFHR wellness video podcast series where we meet with subject matter experts from across UF and UF Health to learn more about the latest in their field. Today, we have with us uh, Dr. Lawrence Morrell, Dr. Erica Moore, and Chicoa uh, Roach to help us with uh, to learn more about lupus and current research efforts to address the autoimmune disorder. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Morrell was appointed with a faculty position in the Department of Pathology immunology and laboratory medicine at UF in 1999, where she is currently a tenured professor and vice chair for research and academic affairs. Her research is centered on mechanisms of lupus pathogenesis. Welcome, Dr. Morrell. Thank you. Uh, we also have with us Dr. Erica Moore, uh, who received her PhD in biomedical engineering in 2018 from Duke University. She also completed her postdoctoral fellowship at Johns Hopkins University until her appointment as an assistant professor with and Ryan's Rising Star Professor of Material Science and Engineering here at UF uh, in July 2020. And finally, uh, welcome Dr. Uh, Moore. And Thank finally, you. we have with us uh, Chakoa Roach, who is a doctoral student in Microbiology and Cell Sciences and a graduate research assistant at the University of Florida. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, so welcome everyone. And thank you for, the take, for taking the time to be with us here today to help us learn a little bit more about um, uh, lupus and the impact that it has on our health and, and society overall. Um, is there anything in your introductions that I may have missed that is relevant to our discussion today? Nope. No. Okay, perfect. Um, so I always like to start with just the basics since some of the, some of the people who may be listening to this podcast may not be very familiar with what lupus is. Uh, so can you explain to us what is lupus and some of the basic risk factors associated with it? Okay, so I'm Tracoya Roach, and basically lupus is a, a chronic autoimmune disease where there's an increase in abnormal activity within the immune system. So usually we explain autoimmune diseases as um, if someone is suffering from uh, this disease, it's an at attack of the immune system on itself. So the immune system has the tendency to um, destroy healthy organs within the person that's struggling with this disease. Um, it's usually manifested by skin lesions and also butterfly rashes. Um, these patients can struggle from joint pains and swelling or arthritis. And then there's also a tendency of tissue damage of the kidneys, um, which is not usually seen by the eye and um, some autoimmune diseases can be seen as invisible. Um, we don't know the exact causes and researchers believe that it is triggered by genetics or environment, but the exact causes are not known um, so far. And as far as the risk factors, these include women um, that usually range from the age of 15 to 44 years old. Um, and there's also certain racial groups that are um, more affected by uh, lupus, including African-Americans, Hispanics, or Latinos, um, as well as Asians and Native Americans. Um, and then we also know that people who have um, family members with lupus or an autoimmune disease can have uh, greater risk factors for developing a disease. Oh, yeah, so it sounds, you know, very, um, uh, I was, as I was doing my reading for this, it sounded like it was a very kind of mysterious disease. And as you mentioned, the, the causes for it are unknown. So um, that's, it's, it's very interesting to, to hear that especially nowadays with the disease being, uh, the cause is still being unknown um, and uh, unfamiliar. Is there anything that 
an individual can do to reduce their risk or to screen for this? Well, I may try to, to address that. So there is no screening process for lupus. And, and one of the many uh, uh, challenges that lupus patients face is that it's a very difficult disease to diagnose. So many patients struggle going from one doctor to the other before they are properly diagnosed and then treated with, with the disease. Uh, however, it has been uh, shown uh, over the years that a healthy, like in, in many other diseases, uh, a healthy li lifestyle may uh, decrease some of the manifestations of lupus. So for instance, people eating uh, a good diet and avoiding uh, uh, fat and, and sugar, which may tend to uh, uh, lead to obesity and increase inflammation. So if they have a healthy diet and they exercise, it's not gonna cure them from lupus, but it's going to allow them to have milder symptoms. Uh, so this is what is, uh, in general, uh, recommended to, to patients, in addition to their treatment that they will receive from their physicians to, uh, to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's good to hear. I've, I've heard that in one of our classes, the Healthy Lifestyle Program, where some of the participants who were participating uh, were suffering from lupus and had mentioned that uh, this was an, an attempt to help them kind of mitigate some of the symptoms that they were experiencing. Yes, absolutely. I do believe if um, you, you have someone in your family that has been diagnosed with lupus or uh, autoimmune disease, you can get tested for the biomarkers of lupus. Um, so my mom was diagnosed with lupus. And once I reached the age where there was a tendency for people to be diagnosed with the disease, I also was tested for those biomarkers. Huh? Thank you so much. Very good point. Um, can you provide us with maybe a quick overview of uh, the research that you're doing and, and how you, you're working together? So I'll start with me since I've been working uh, for the longer time on, on this. So I started this, my research on lupus a long time ago when I was a postdoc at UF. And what my lab is uh, doing is focusing on very basic research. So we work mostly with, with mice but we also work with um, blood samples that we obtained from lupus patients and healthy individuals. And what we are trying to address is basic mechanisms that lead to what Trocoya was mentioning, the immune system attacking itself, right? And, and one of the key um, factors in the attack of uh, of the immune system and itself is a production of O2 antibodies. So we have all heard about antibodies, especially with COVID, right? That, so anti-COVID antibodies are good antibodies that are going to protect us once we get vaccinated uh, against COVID. But in lupus, the individual, the patient produces bad antibodies. So all antibodies, meaning that antibodies against their own uh, um, cells, their own tissues. So we are doing basic research to, uh, to understand that. And we are looking at many different angles. And uh, uh, Trecoya, who is a graduate student in my lab, is looking at the effect of a specific gene that we think is associated with lupus susceptibility 
on the production of those O2 antibodies. Then um, uh, Erica, Dr. Moore, when she joined uh, UF uh, a couple of years ago now, one of her program directions was to incorporate her skills in uh, material science and biomedical engineering and to, to apply that to lupus. So uh, she wanted to uh, connect with somebody doing lupus research. And I was very intrigued and interested in with the ability to, uh, the possibility to incorporate uh, uh, bioengineering to lupus research, which I think has a lot of prom very promising uh, uh, possibilities. So I don't know, Erica, if you want to add something to this. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Laurence. I think a lot of my work focuses on trying to build model systems of what's happening in the body outside of the body. And so Laurence already referenced this, but you know, oftentimes for us to understand and study the pathology of lupus, we have to use mice, mice models, or we get blood samples from patients and we can do these screening assays or different ways to basically connect presentation that's seen in the clinic to what we investigate at the bench. And I'm a part of that connection. So I use some of my engineering background where I have model systems of say blood vessels that you know would grow in our body and we can use those vessel models to basically understand say vascular inflammation in lupus. And so that's the connection between how we all kind of got mixed together. And Laurence has been a mentor of mine since I've came to the University of Florida because I did really wanna study lupus and understand how we can leverage the models that we develop in the lab to address this clinical need. I must admit that when I was reading more about your work together and just the, it was fascinating. I mean, lupus itself is a, is a very um, uh, kind of scary disease and because of a lot of the unknowns in it, but the work that you guys are doing together um, with the, the genetics and the, the bioengineering is just, it was just very fascinating to me on a personal level. And I would assume as well to, to our audience. Um, thank you. Is there anything else? Okay. I just nope. want to make sure I wasn't cutting anyone off. I apologize. Maybe, um, Tricoya, you want to say something about your own research, a few words? Yes, please. Well, yes, as Dr. Moreau uh, previously mentioned, um, not only that I studied the genetics of lupus susceptibility gene, um, but I also look at it in uh, CD4 T cells. So in lupus, um, you have uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines that can be, I mean, cytokines and T cells that can be produced. And I'm basically trying to um, find the mechanism by which our lupus susceptibility gene controls these cells. Thank you so much. Um, uh, kind of the, a follow-up question to some of the things that we've discussed and that I've already alluded to a, a few times is that the, the Lupus Foundation of America describes this illness as one of the world's most mysterious and devastating diseases as, um, as it's quoted on their website. Um, why do you think that is? So mysterious is because for two things, right? The exact cause as mentioned previously is not known. Right, it is. It's there is not a single cause of lupus. It's a, probably a combination of having certain genes, certain uh, mutations in, in our genes that uh, make you more susceptible to lupus, and then a, a combination of environmental triggers 
which may be viruses, pesticides, environmental triggers, and this is not really known. So that makes it uh, difficult, right, uh, to, to, to understand even among identical twins, the, the concordance, meaning that if one twin has lupus, the chance that the other twin is gonna have lupus also is less than 50%, right? So that shows that it, it's a very complicated uh, um, disease. And because also it is a complicated disease in its presentation, uh, Trichoya mentioned a little bit the, uh, the skin, the kidneys, uh, Erica mentioned the blood vessels and cardiovascular uh, uh, aspects of the disease. But it's, it's not a single disease that you do one blood test and you know if you have it or not. So because of that, it's very complicated to, uh, to diagnose and, and then to treat appropriately. So patients go years before they get properly treated. And then it's progress have been, has been made in treating patients, but it's still a, a disease that is uh, difficult to live with, right? There's a lot of fatigue, a lot of uh, ups and downs and, and you know, uh, flares and remission. Uh, and uh, uh, so it, it, it is a burden on the patient and their family to, uh, to deal with. That's a very eloquent summary of that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, we, we also mentioned this earlier uh, in uh, Tricot's introduction. Um, she had mentioned that there are some health disparities where um, uh, African-American women, I believe, and Latin American women and Asian, uh, po different populations are more susceptible to this disease. Um, can, can we explore that a little bit um, and talk about some of the health disparities associated with, with lupus? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of the things that really drew me to trying to apply my own biomedical engineering background to studying lupus, because I know so many women who suffer or have died from lupus. And growing up, I didn't quite realize how massive the disparity was. And so I thought it was my lived experience of just knowing a lot of different black women who would die or be diagnosed with lupus. But yeah, so lupus is a health disparity in, in many regards. I think the largest regard is usually in terms of biological sex. So 90% of the people who have lupus identify as female or women. And, you know, so that's a huge disparity. Um, and you can even reference medical like literature and how diseases that disproportionately affect women tend to be understudied mm -hmm. historically, right? So that provides context to some of lupus and then the disparity of lupus. And then there's also incident rate differences based on ethnic or ancestral background. And so one of those is that black women are two to three times as likely than white women to develop lupus. Black women are also more likely to develop lupus earlier in life at younger ages, more likely to develop very severe comorbidities, including lupus nephritis and others, you know, compared to other ancestral groups. And in general, non-white women are three times as likely to die 
of SLE complications or lupus complications compared to white people. And so uh, this was referenced earlier, but you can even consider Hispanics, Asians, Native Americans, those that are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, they're all more likely to develop lupus. And so what this means is there's this huge disparity in multiple different perspectives of lupus. And unfortunately that contributes to some of the mystery, mystery that Laurence was referencing earlier with regards to how we diagnose lupus, how we classify lupus, how presentation of lupus varies across each of these different populations. And I think that's part of what makes it so hard to study lupus, right? And so I think those are some of the health disparities that really drew me to lupus because like I said, I know so many women who suffer from this disease and I, I love being a part of larger conversations to increase awareness around this disease. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm starting to kind of get a better picture of um, wh why this disease is such so difficult and uh, quote unquote mysterious. There, there, there's a lot of unknown variables in, a, in, in terms of the onset, but also in terms of how it's um, presented in different populations and, and just the, 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 the percentages that you're presenting to me were just, you know, uh, wild, extreme, um, to say the least, for sure. Um, this is maybe a good opportunity to circle back to something that we had talked about in, in the beginning as well. Um, and uh, talking about the, this uh, cross collaboration between kind of science and engineering, which is very interesting to me. Um, and I'm interested to learn how your work has led has led you to set up a collaborative approach between kind of this pathology and engineering? Yeah, this is a great question. And I, I have to thank Laurence, you know, when I was planning to come to the University of Florida as a junior faculty, I was looking for ways to begin applying the models that I develop to clinical problems or solutions. And because I know so many women who are affected by lupus, I immediately reached out to Laurence and she was willing to, to kind of take me under her wing and educate me on lupus and find brainstorm with me ways that we can basically collaborate between engineering and medicine. And I wanna say that collaboration is really should be the bedrock of medical innovation, right? Because if I'm over here and I think I'm tackling a problem, but I'm in a silo of just looking at engineering collaborations, then I really am missing out on so much potential impact. And so <clears throat> I had my model system where we can develop microvessels in a tissue-like environment. So we can develop vessels outside of the body. And one of the aspects of lupus pathology is the development of vasculitis or vascular inflammation. And this, is, this can be termed, vasculitis can scale to small vessel vasculitis or all the way up to larger cardiovascular diseases. Um, but they're disproportionately present in women who have lupus. And oftentimes they're also disproportionately present or presenting based on your ancestral background. So we talked about health disparities a little bit earlier. And so what I'm doing now is applying my biomaterial model of microvessels to understand vascular inflammation in lupus. And so you can see it's kind of almost a perfect fit 
because we can use the disease pathologies that develop and are observed in the clinic, but are not really well interrogated from a clinical standpoint. It's very hard to ascertain vasculitis, like, you know, in lupus patients. And so what we can do now is basically use our model systems, couple it with the patient's own cells that we get from their blood samples, and then understand how vascular progression varies based on ancestral background or disease presentation in each of the models that we develop in the lab. And so it's a really cool kind of bridge almost between, you know, immunology, biomaterials, engineering, a lot of different principles are at play here, but we're really excited because we're trying to close the gap in understanding of lupus pathology, specifically vasculitis and lupus. And with the collaborative environments that are available at the University of Florida, we're able to kind of make this bridge a reality, so to speak. Absolutely, and, and yeah, I, it's, it's very interesting and it's very cool, like you said. Um, and, I, and I really like how you mentioned that this is kind of where the cusp of innovation could, could be created and, and realized. Um, and I really commend all of you for, for kind of creating such a collaborative environment and working to tackle such an, an important issue. Um, as I was reading, kind of uh, doing my research on, on this topic for today, I was uh, looking at some of the literature and some of the work that you've done. And while it is true that there is still a lot unknown about lupus, there have been some kind of really uh, interesting advances and gains in this field. Um, I'm wondering if uh, we could highlight some of these advances in research whether that is in, in your own work specifically as a, as a group or um, as a general throughout, you know, uh, lupus research in general. Well, I can take that, but I, I want to first continue on what Erica was mentioning. Sure. Uh, and um, to expand our collaboration on diversity, right? Because obviously I'm a white woman, you know, Trakoya and Erica to uh, African-American women. And so I think it's important because of the, um, the disease affecting uh, African-American women to uh, such a greater extent for me to have this perspective and, and to have the impact from uh, their experience to uh, you know, remind me that we are working you know, even if we are working with mice, the long-term goal of what we are doing is to, to make a difference for patients. So that is you know, the obvious diversity, but it's a diversity in research. It's also very important to um, have different perspectives, uh, bringing together uh, different approaches to what we are doing. So we tend to be uh, nowadays, uh, the research that we are conducting tends to be very specialized, and we tend to uh, basically talk only with um, people that are working in very narrow fields. So uh, to have a, an expanded collaboration with uh, bioengineering is very important also to, because I may think about um, a problem in a different, not, I mean, I think about problems in different ways that Erica may think about it. So uh, bring it together, I think it's very important. So what research is bringing to lupus? Uh, I think it's uh, a perfect example of basic research making a difference. So 
for the longest time and still now uh, steroids, glucocorticoid steroids, uh, which are very uh, potent uh, immunosuppressive drugs have been the staple of treatment for, for lupus patients. And it's effective, but it's, it has many side effects. And, and one of the uh, goals that rheumatologists have when we treat lupus patients is to give as little steroids as possible to, to not have too many side effects. So um, the first drug that uh, a monoclonal antibody called Benista, uh, was, which was discovered and developed basic, uh, strictly on, on, on the basis of uh, basic research, was approved by the FDA to treat lupus patients in 2011. Uh, and before that, basically, it was just steroids and, and a few other immunosuppressants. And so in uh, 10 years or so, a number of other drugs that have um, uh, been approved to, to treat patients, none of them are a miracle drug, right? It's not something that you take and then you're cured or you're 100% better, but there is an improvement. So the, uh, the life expectancy of lupus patients has greatly improved in the past 10 years. And it's still a very bad disease. And, uh, but I think it, there is a clear path to have better approaches uh, due to, uh, to basic research. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, definitely. I, you, I mean, you had two really in interesting points. And uh, I think the diversity of individuals and researchers and the, and the diversity of principles that you guys have in, in, in your uh, laboratory is, is very interesting. And I think will be key to your success if it hasn't been already. Um, and I'm very excited to kind of uh, uh, to keep an eye out on the research that you guys all put together um, and the research that is involved within lupus in general, um, because it's... Uh, it's, it's very it's very interesting um it, it came intriguing to me um i personally didn't know very much much about lupus before um uh, before this presentation except for just the just the general very basic idea of what the disease is as an autoimmune disorder disorder but uh um having kind of done the research for this today's session and talking and listening to your perspectives i think i've gained a, a very valuable uh, per, um, understanding and, and perspective of that I'm very excited to kind of see where the research takes us. Is there anyone There's else? There's also a, uh, I just saw a, a paper today that uh, was applying biomedical engineering, not a type that Erica is directly working uh, on, but using uh, nanoparticles to directly target uh, inflamed immune cells, because in one of the challenges in lupus is to get rid of the bad immune cells and keep the good ones, right? That otherwise, if you destroy all the immune cells, then you cannot fight COVID and other viruses and, and so forth. So there are a lot of promises in using bioengineering, biomedical engineering to uh, develop specific drugs that may target uh, uh, the bad immune cells and, and deliver to them some kind of uh, you know, nuclear bomb that's going to kill those cells and uh, in, in a very selective way. So I think there's also a lot of potential 
benefits in that. I don't know if Erica, if you want to comment on that. Only to say that I think it reinforces some of the diversity of perspectives mm -hmm. and diversity of application that you referenced earlier, Laurence, to say like, well, you know, a lot of uh, the targeting modalities that are being developed for say cancer applications could also be utilized in lupus targeting, right, of different immune cells. So I do think there's lots of potential for different researchers to continue to collaborate and to try to use novel applications for treating and ameliorating lupus symptoms. Shorkar, was there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I don't want to add anything. <laughs> Thank you. No, I just want to, I just want to make sure I, I'm getting all the different perspectives. Um, uh, so I, I, this may be more on a, on a personal interest um, uh, note, but what, what are you most excited about in the in your research as it relates to understanding lupus or identifying kind of possible treatments or therapies for this disease? Okay, what are you most excited about besides going to graduate soon? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited um, that potentially we can develop a better treatment for people who are um, being affected by lupus. Um, so as I mentioned before, my mom was diagnosed with lupus and the corticosteroids that Dr. Moreau mentioned um, was one of her main treatments. And I know how she struggled with this treatment. So just knowing that my research can potentially develop better treatments or possibly cure the disease. Um, I know that we may be a long way from that, but I think it's very helpful to, um, to know that it's a possibility in the future. And again, I do want to thank Dr. Morell um, for taking me in her lab and giving me the opportunity to study lupus because um, before when my mom was diagnosed, I had no idea what the disease was. Um, I didn't understand what she was struggling from. But now that I've spent about five years here for my career, um, I understand what the disease is and I understand how the disease manifests in someone who is being affected by lupus. Um, outside of the science scope. And I do understand those struggles a little bit more now. Um, and not only my mom, I have friends and, and other family members who also struggle with the disease. And I think it brings them comfort knowing that I've, I've dedicated a good amount of my time and um, in search of helping them improve um, disease prognosis or um, in the future, they'll have better treatment. So. Anyone else excited about a certain area? Yeah, I would say that I'm really excited about increased advocacy for and around lupus. And so I don't mean advocacy in terms of like just awareness, even though that is good. I mean, in terms of scientific advocacy. So like Laurence referenced earlier, I hope that others maybe who are in biomedical engineering or who are, who are in mechanical engineering or cultural anthropology, you know, can be encouraged to, to question like, how can I use my science to address health disparities in, in clinical presentation of disease, right? And so that's what gets me really excited because I think inherently we all have these skills, especially as they're applied to STEM and the investigation of science, you know, um, applied to different diseases. And so it really gets me excited to be in this amalgam, this melting pot 
of researchers and be able to ask different questions and then have people say, that was already done. What about this? That's a really good question. How do we present and advocate scientifically for different health disparities? That's what really has me excited. Dr. Mel, did you have anything else to add? Uh, well, it's exciting to see young people being excited working in the field. So that, I, I like that a lot. Um, so to continue on what Erica was saying in terms of expanding basically uh, awareness of, of lupus research to other uh, less traditional fields, um, there is, uh, a very high level of collaboration around the world uh, among uh, lupus scientists who are sharing uh, biobanks of samples uh, that allows them to conduct uh, uh, large-scale studies, genetic studies, gen genomic studies, uh, which are going to be really the, uh, a key to uh, try to extract information from those large uh, biobanks of, of uh, samples and data uh, that have been collected on, on, on lupus patients and controls to uh, discover new, new key uh, pathways and, and, and targets that can be uh, um, targeted by drugs. And uh, so I think this is also a good, uh, a hopeful aspect of lupus research. We have uh, ec uh, excellent uh, advocacy groups, uh, uh, the Lupus Research Foundation and the uh, Lupus Research Alliance that are uh, not only outstanding in, in uh, directing patients to clinical trials and, and advocating for them to with uh, Congress to get money uh, through the DOD to fund research, but also funding themselves a lot of research and collaborative research uh, with um, pharmaceutical companies also who are also involved in, uh, in, uh, in this aspect of, uh, of biomedical research. So I think there's a lot of um, hopeful uh, directions that are going on in, in, in this research. Fantastic. Um, and it's a really great segue. Um, we didn't pre-plan this, but um, in closing, I really wanted to kind of, you mentioned the foundation and the alliance. Are there any other additional resources or places of information where we could guide our audience who are interested in learning about lupus, who are maybe dealing with lupus themselves, or are interested in your, uh, in your research? Where, where could we direct them? So the NIH, the National Institute of Health, uh, specifically the National Institute of uh, Allergy and uh, Musculoskeletal Diseases has very uh, detailed information uh, about uh, what is lupus and, and the research that the NIH is funding. Uh, so these are also valuable resources. Are there any other resources from the group? I think in addition um, to learn about lupus, other than the NIH, there is a major event that um, the Lupus Foundation of America hosts 
Um, and this basically gives the opportunity to celebrate anyone who has been affected by lupus or their families and their communities. Um, and it's called Walk to End Lupus Now. Um, and this is an event that I believe is hosted in many cities and um, different states. So you could go to their website and found that, find out um, the dates and um, when they'll host the event. But basically this event allows um, fundraising for the community for lupus research, as well as to increase awareness of the disease. Um, and it, again, you, you, it increases support of anyone who is living with lupus and allows you to cel celebrate those people. So I think this is a very important event. And if you want to increase awareness or someone who is uh, struggling with lupus and may not have found their community yet, I think this would be a good event to attend. We'll, be, we'll make sure to link all of these resources on our, on our website when we publish this, uh, this uh, program. Uh, Dr. Moore, was there, were there any other additional? No? Okay. No, I think that's, that's all. Okay, perfect. Thank you for your questions. Um, yeah, of course. So thank you so much. I, I, I can tell from, from talking with you all that this is a very, uh, you're very passionate about this, both from a professional standpoint and from a personal standpoint. So I thank you all for, for sharing your uh, experience and expertise with us today. Um, and I want to thank also our audience for, for listening in and tuning in to today's session. And I hope that they have found it useful and helpful for them. And I, I hope that it has also been of some interest to you as well as it has been for me. Um, and for our audience, um, as always, the evaluation for the, for the wellness talk sessions will be included in the video description along with suggested resources that we've mentioned here today and, and some that we'll collect after today's session. So please take a moment to give your feedback on your experience and to explore some of those resources as well. Um, to see any of our other wellness talk sessions, visit the UFHR wellness website at wellness.hr.ufl.edu and navigate to the wellness library from the resources tab. And with that, thank you so much for tuning in and be well.